Thank you, Pam, for leading us in prayer. Thank you, praise team, as Pam prayed as well. Thank you guys for leading us. A great day. So welcome back to worship. We hope you were with us on Christmas Eve. It was a great day. Four different kinds of services or four different services that day. Uh, It's been a super quiet week here at CBC. I was thinking probably the week between Christmas and New Year's is probably in the office, most likely the quietest week of the year. So I was just thinking uh, being here at one service at 10 a.m. where we can all fit in the same room uh, is really cool because I haven't seen hardly any of you all week. So uh, it's been great. If you had something great happen um, over Christmas, kind of leading up to Christmas, even something good, raise your hand if you had something great happen around Christmas. Yeah, so most of you there, hope you had a great Christmas and we are glad you're back here on New Year's Eve. So since today is a Sunday between Christmas and New Year's, we are doing a Sunday where I get to choose a passage that doesn't fit into Advent because Advent is behind us and because we're not back into the Luke series yet. So that's kind of fun. We get to do something different. And I thought it would be fun to talk about church. What is the church? What are we as an individual church, individual congregation, supposed to look like, supposed to be like, supposed to act like? And so in order to do that, we're going to read from Acts chapter 2. Not yet, but in just a few minutes. First, let's have a little fun to see where Acts fits into the tapestry. Yes, as Jerry often says, the tapestry of scripture or the story, the tapestry of Christianity. And so we know we've been studying Luke all year, if you've been with us. In the last four weeks, we studied four different prophets. So here's a little look kind of at tapestry. So I like my slides. Jerry just, you know, paints it out with his hands, but I like my slides here. So so we've talked about four different prophets over Advent, the four centuries of Advent, Isaiah, Malachi, Zephaniah, and Micah. If you remember Christmas Eve, even reading from Micah 5, that Out of Bethlehem would come someone great that would be the Messiah, that would be eventually Jesus. So then if we kind of look in order, on Christmas Eve, we also talked about Jesus' birth. So we read from Luke 2, the Christmas story. So you have the prophets of the Old Testament looking forward to what's coming, and then Jesus does come, as we sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Jesus comes in Luke 2. Then if we look back over the last year, we've been studying what does Jesus teach and what, is, what was his life like. But not only that, who are the people that he interacts with? And so we learned all of that from Luke's gospel, and we'll continue to do that here in 2024 coming up. But today, we're going to look at the church, and it's in the book, The Acts of the Apostles. It's not just the book of Acts, but the Acts of the Apostles, because we get to see What are the people who follow Jesus? What did they do and what is the early church like? So Luke wrote both his gospel and Acts and Acts picks up the story pretty much where Luke leaves off. It's a sequel in a sense. So if you want to have some fun today, go home and read uh, the last chapter of Luke and then read the first chapter of Acts. It's basically a sequel. Luke picks up where he leaves off. And in Acts 2, we see that this is the day of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. It's 50 days after the Passover or just seven weeks after Jesus' resurrection. So think about how fast the story is. Sometimes we think these pieces don't fit together. But just seven weeks after Jesus' death and resurrection is the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and then uh, where the early church really begins. So very close, just seven weeks apart. 
So Jesus went to heaven, but first told his disciples in Acts chapter 1 that he would send his Holy Spirit to be on them. And then this happens in Acts 2, when all the disciples are gathered together and blessed by God's Spirit, they can suddenly speak many languages, and they start telling about uh, Jesus in different languages so that all the people who are visiting Jerusalem for Pentecost can hear and understand about Jesus in their own languages. It's a, it's a miracle. But the people are wondering what is going on, so Peter stands up and tells them what is going on, and he preaches and basically tells the entire story of Jesus in this huge crowd, and then here's what happens at the very end of that speech. So this is today's passage, Acts 2, verses 40 through 47. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I'm going to pick up, they devoted themselves, where is it? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching of fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. All came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you today. Lord, you truly are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this last part here of chapter 2 of the book of Acts is about the early church. In fact, it's the earliest church. But today's church, and what I mean is by not just this church, but kind of the whole church, and I'll kind of simplify it down to the American church, in some ways is very different than the early church, some ways alike. Pastor Jerry recently had our elders and then uh, some of our staff listen to a podcast with Kerry Newhoff. It's by a guy named Kerry Newhoff, who speaks a lot about the church, and Jim Davis, who has written and shared a book <clears throat> called The Great Dechurching. Yes, it's called The Great Dechurching. Through much research, he says that in the last 25 to 30 years, 40 million American adults have stopped going to church. Yes. 25 to 30 years, 40 million American adults have stopped going to church. He defines what they looked at as churchgoers and then people who have stopped going to church. Churchgoers typically attend worship at least two times a month, while those who have stopped going, they consider stopped going altogether, attend less than once a year. So through his research, um, they show that now less than 50% of American adults attend church. I know a lot of you, so I see a lot of you in church often. I'm here pretty much every week unless I'm on vacation. So these numbers sound foreign to me, that now in America, less than 50% of adults attend church. There are many reasons why people have stopped, and certainly we've seen a lot of that after COVID, which changed a lot of things when people just 
stopped going maybe for a year and only watched online or perhaps not at all, and so they didn't return. But even before then, people were stopping to, uh, of attending church. And when people were asked, this was a survey of several thousands of people, when people are asked, what was the number one reason they stopped going to church? The answer was, I moved. That I moved. They moved from one neighborhood to another or one city to another, one state to another. And when they did, they simply did not go back to church or go to a new church. So today, we live in an increasingly secular world that is de-churched in many ways. And so the message for us today as the church is we need the church. We need to be the church for each other, and we need to be the church that can go out and make a difference in the world because the world needs us as the church as well. So I think looking at Acts 2, and we're going to kind of walk through it verse by verse, gives us some idea of what we're maybe already doing here at ZPC, which is similar to the early church, or what we might do here at ZPC which might even look a little different in in 2024 as the church. But a lot of it, honestly, folks, is really reminders of what we're already doing and being as the church and why the world needs us to be the church. So again, Acts 2, 40 through 47. So in verses 40 and 41, as I said, we're going to have several slides, a kind of reminder of this and kind of keep our minds engaged. Peter has preached to a large crowd. And after the Holy Spirit had come, 3,000 people. So you think about that. In that day and age, they didn't have microphones. They didn't have speakers. They didn't have a stage or an auditorium. Somehow there was a crowd somewhere in Jerusalem. 3,000 people on that day come to Christ. At ZPC, we don't have 3,000 people here in a day. But you think about, we have Sunday morning worship. We have VBS. We have Great Banquet. We have Awakening, which is for high school students, similar to Great Banquet and other ministries where we can draw a crowd in which we can tell people about Jesus. We can sing songs of praise. We can tell people. We can share what Jesus is like. And so over the last 40 years, though, at ZBC, we celebrated our 40-year anniversary this year. We do know that truly, and we can go back and count some of this, Literally tens of thousands of people have come through the doors of the church, and probably several thousand of those people over 40 years have come to know Jesus for the first time, or we know many, many hundreds or thousands have recommitted their life to Christ. So we need to keep being the church a place where people can come to hear, hear, uh, to know about Jesus. Pentecost was an important day. This was the day when this happened, and Billy Graham says, Uh, Pentecost was the day of the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the day that the Christian church was born. And so ZBC was born 40 years ago. We need to keep being the church in 2024. Peter goes on to say that these new Christians shared these things in verse 42. Familiar things at the top. Teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. This is what they did. So they started meeting together. This is what they did. At ZPC, we can break bread, and we talk about this a lot. Jerry talks about it a lot. We do it at communion, which we will next Sunday on the first Sunday of the month of the new year. We have all church brunch. That's an important part of our DNA here at ZPC. We have food at a lot of things. This is an important thing. It's very biblical. It's very much in the New Testament how often Jesus broke bread with his disciples, and the early church did this as well. We can do this in homes, at home groups, 
and in other places. We can have teaching. Next Gen, which is all our children's ministries from zero to 18, they share teaching about Jesus. We have home groups where we study the word, the scripture that was preached on Sunday morning. There's various men's and women's Bible studies and different kinds of Bible studies and classes that we offer. And then prayer. We pray and worship. You pray in your home groups. We encourage you to pray at home by yourself. And we have prayer ministries here at the church. If you want to know more about prayer ministries here at the church, come talk to me or better yet, you could talk to Pam Beeragan who led us in prayer this morning. She knows a lot about the prayer ministries at the church. So in the podcast I was referring to, this author, Jim Davis, that wrote about the great de-churching, as he was talking about churches, he says, what you win them with is what you win them to. What you win them with, so what people come to hear about, is what you win them to. So if you're a church that's a lot about uh, music, you might win them with the music, but then they're going to expect that they'll have great music when they come. That's just an example. So at ZPC, we do try, and this is very intentional, to talk about Jesus. If we are Christians, followers of Jesus, who is the Christ, we are Christians. We are like Jesus as the Christ. We want to be disciples of Jesus. We talk a lot about community. We want to have community here on Sunday mornings and in other places. And then we want to go out and serve. That's what we hope to win people with to come to church. And so we try to tell people that's what we that's, this is who we are. This is what we do. So that when you win people with that, then you'll win them to that, that they want to be a part of that as well. So we try to tell anyone who comes to our inquirers class that this is what we want to be like, that we want to be dis- make disciples and be disciples. So in the passage, Peter had said to repent and be baptized. To repent is to turn around, to turn to something new, to be baptized into the faith, and then to join in to their church family in that century. And so in a similar way, we want people to repent, turn away from what you're doing, turn to Jesus, and then be disciples. Now, I will say one thing I'm going to work on in 2024, and this was kind of brought to my attention probably in November, is we do have um, a pathway to discipleship. Now, some of it's in my mind, some of it's written down, but we don't always share that, I think, as well as we could here in worship or maybe in different ministries we have. So something I'm going to be working on, and we're going to be working on, is sharing more what's our pathway to discipleship. So if someone comes new into ZPC and they're like, Scott or Jerry, you talk about being a disciple of Jesus. How do I do that? We want that to be more well-known of how this works. And this is kind of why I'm preaching that, preaching about this this morning. But in our inquirers class, which meets several times a year, and a lot of you have been through, maybe even this year or the year before, we do talk a little bit about what we want of new uh, people who join the church. And it looks like this. We have a page in our inquirers notebook that says, worship, join, seek, and serve. So what's this look like? This is what we want from all of our ZPC members. We want you to attend worship whenever you can. As we talked about, 40 million Americans over the last generation have stopped attending church. We want you to attend church. If you're in town, if you're If you're healthy, come to church. We want you to come. We are better together than we are apart. And so coming to worship also, I believe, helps give you fuel for the rest of the week. Fellowshipping in the gathering space, having your children or your grandchildren go down the hall and hear about Jesus helps give us fuel for the week 
so that we are more likely to go out and live for Jesus Monday through Saturday if we come here on Sunday. So attend worship, to join, to join a home group or a study or a smaller group. ZPC is not, not a megachurch by any stretch of the imagination, but did you know that most American churches, the, the median size are around, around the average size of attendance for American churches between 75 and 100 people. So ZPC is unusual in that, and that we're much larger than that. And so in a larger church, the way to get smaller is to join something that's smaller. That's one of the reasons we have home groups. It's the reason we have Bible studies, like a men's Bible study that meets early on Thursday morning, or a women's Bible study, Soul Sisters, that meets on Thursday morning, or other groups that are smaller. We'd love for you to attend and be part of the great banquet community. This is a place where you can learn about discipleship. And then after you attend it, where you can go and serve. If you have high school students, encourage them to go to the awakening. So that's worship and join something. Then to seek, what are your gifts and abilities and where can you use them? We all kind of know what we're good at. What are our strengths? What you like, what you don't like doing. If, uh, if middle school students scare you, then don't go volunteer with Brendan, right? You know, so middle school students, Brendan's nodding, could be scary, perhaps, I don't know. But maybe go get involved somewhere else. And we, we do want to have some ministries that are easy to get started in. So maybe get started in where you hand out bulletins here at the doors. That's super important on Sunday morning. We know coffee and donuts are really important. We need people to help serve the coffee and donuts. So seek where your gifts and abilities are. As you get more involved, maybe join and be a leader at VBS or go on a short-term mission trip. And that's when we can serve. Where can you serve inside or outside the walls of ZPC? So uh, worship, join, seek, and serve. So what happened after that? Well, in the early church, everyone was filled with awe um, in, in verse 43. And so what this means is that there were miracles going on. Miracles were happening. Crazy things were happening. And people were joining the church. And the church was growing very, very fast. We may not have the miracles like they did in in Acts, but I believe God is incredibly active still today. And I can tell you lots of stories where I see that happening. But in our ministries like Next Gen, where kids are knowing about Jesus, home groups where people care for each other, where where people have had... um, deaths in their family or they've had sickness and the home group sort of takes over and watches the children, makes hospital visits. This is what it's like to be the church in a, in a small church setting kind of thing. And then in Great Banquet and Missions, if you ever come to a Great Banquet closing, you hear people stand up and tell near miraculous stories how God has drawn them closer to him, and then through missions, you can go and hear about what's going on in the world, what God is doing in the world. So we want those big things to happen, but we also want you to draw close to God as we pray, and everyone was filled with awe as we pray, and so to also continue to be silent at home, spend quiet moments with God, and to be still and know that He is God. This year, we've said, again, through the quiet, that you can hear from God, and this is where I believe God can be very active, is in Scripture and in prayer and in quiet, and home groups as well. As I mentioned, uh, home groups are a place where people can meet in smaller groups and draw closer together. Since COVID, we've realized that some of our groups, after, after several years of meeting, have stopped meeting. And so in order to have new groups, 
we need new leaders to step up. And I'm, I'm the one, as well as Sally Bias, we're the ones who will go out and ask people to be leaders. And I realize, and I'm very aware, that is a big job. You're going to uh, uh, commit to a year of leading people to come into your home and lead them and facilitate a small group discussion and be hospitable in that way. But I want to tell you, we need new group leaders. As some of the groups have dropped off, we need some new groups to get started to find places both for new people to come in and people that have stopped meeting that still want to meet to find places. So if you feel led through your prayer in your own time, you said, maybe I'd be interested in being a home group leader, come talk to me and I can tell you what it's like, kind of what it requires, and I'll help you uh, to make that happen. So come talk to me about that. So as we think about then kind of moving outward, so as the church, the early church was growing inward, and as we think about growing inward, as we were called together by God, we come in here and we worship, we get involved in the church, how then do we move outward? How do we be the church that moves outward? So in verses 44 and 45, we're going to see here on the screen, the believers were together, and in one translation it said they had everything in common. Verse 45 says they they sold possessions, and they gave to those in need. And so one of the things about this is I was like, well, you know what? Today, we don't really live like in communes. We don't really do that, do we? I, I don't know a lot of places in America that do. But in a different kind of way, back then, they, they were together, and they had things in common, and they actually sold their possessions and gave to those in need. But I want to tell you, I don't think it's as foreign as we might think to live that way. I don't know about you, but if you've, been, if you've served on a mission project or been on a mission trip, when you do, you pretty much have things in common. You're sharing meals. You're doing things where you're helping each other in ways. Years ago, I took a high school mission trip, and one of the girls on the trip, her luggage, the only one, her luggage was lost on the trip. And when we got to the place we were staying, she had no change of clothes. And so immediately, without anybody asking, the other high school groups on the trip started to open up their suitcases. Well, I've got an extra top. I've got some extra sweats. Here's a jacket you can wear. No one asked. They just did it. They were just sharing their possessions when one in their group had need. I will tell you, a day or two later, we found a Walmart and we got her some clothes. But until then, they just basically just shared their clothes. This is kind of what it can be like, I think, in the modern church, the contemporary church to share. You guys shared out of your pockets to fill, and Jason mentioned this in the welcome, 178 shepherd totes. That was amazing. It helps provide food for those in need. And through your normal tithes and offerings, this helps fund the ministries of the church, not only things that happen here, but things that can go outside of the church. I want to highlight a couple of things since we are on the last day of the year, as Pam said in her prayer, to summarize a couple of things that happened year in. So our community assistance ministry does a great job throughout the year. And so if you don't know this, there is a fund, there's a line item. When people call into the church and they have needs and oftentimes they're desperate, our community assistance ministry, some is run by deacons, some by lay leaders in the church. They take those phone calls, they call people back, and if they are able, they help people in their times of desperation and need. And then at Christmas, they help families in need. So our church body donated enough money and funds to fill 41 laundry baskets. These are big laundry baskets filled with household items, as well as groceries, as well as gift cards for a total of $1,700. And through the Community Assistance Ministry, 
246 lives were touched, which included 155 children. That was just at Christmas. And the, one of the leaders reported back, she wrote in an email to Jerry and I and to some others, that at the end they had almost exactly $350 left over in cash and funds. And then the leader wrote this, says, I got an email from a woman with seven children. She and her husband had both just recently lost their jobs. And so for a family of seven children, we would normally give $50 per child. What, seven times 50, it's $350. That's what was left. So I called and explained that our deadline had passed. And while we couldn't offer all the other items because it was too late, we could offer her a $350 gift card, says the woman burst into tears of gratitude over the phone. So they saw God at work there. We get emails, Jerry and I do, and others about what's happening at the Zionsville Food Pantry. And in November, I don't have numbers from December, but in November, the month of Thanksgiving, they served 579 families in November, around 190 of those uh, the week before Thanksgiving, when each family received a ton of groceries as well as a turkey for their family, 190 the week of Thanksgiving. So in verse 45, we read that those first Christians uh, sold possessions and gave to those in need. And we can too, through our time, our talent, our treasure, and offerings to the church. And so while we don't share all our possessions like maybe they did, um, we get to share with others. And so I was thinking about this in terms of kind of short-term mission trips. So I wanted to tell a story, but I want to kind of set it up. So when you give money to the church, we know that 22.1% goes to missions. Part of that helps underwrite, in some ways, some of our mission trips, like the high school mission trip this summer. Uh, our kids served too. Middle school uh, did a bake sale. They're raising money, and then they're going to uh, put together meals for those who are in need. High school mission trip this summer is going to Denver, where they're going to be serving there. Years ago, I got to lead high school mission trips, and so your funds helped underwrite some of those trips that then go out and share with other people in need. So just last month, I, I got noticed that a former member of Zionsville Presbyterian Church, Brian Foxworthy, died of cancer tragically at age 44. And Brian was a huge part of our youth group and kind of those years after youth group. And he would so willingly, had a huge heart, so willingly share of his possessions and his time. So it's a real uh, tragic time when he died young of cancer. And I was looking back at some notes and pictures, and so this was 1997 or 1998. Brian was a high school student, and he went on a summer mission trip with me and ZBCs, 30, 35 of us, I think, to urban Philadelphia. And it was kind of an interesting trip for many reasons, because when we arrived, we stayed at a big downtown church and where they, they did ministry to the homeless, but no one stayed there at the night but us, but they had rooms and showers where we could stay. And they told us very specifically, now when we leave, we're gonna lock the doors, don't unlock the doors. You may have people come to the doors and knock on the doors and want to come in and ask for help, don't unlock the doors, don't open the doors, we'll take care of it the next morning. So that got our attention, first of all. And then we would go out and serve at various places in urban Philadelphia, and these were honestly pretty rough spots. And so we went to this one uh, homeless shelter where we got to prepare lunch and then serve lunch and then clean up for lunch. And they were very specific with their instructions. After you prepared the lunch, you go pick a spot in line where you're going to serve the lunch, and it was a counter kind of thing, like a cafeteria. 
And they said, stay behind the counter. That's the rule, stay behind the counter. And I think, again, they were telling us, we want uh, these teenagers from Indiana to stay safe while they're here doing missions with us. So after all the guests had come through the serving line, uh, we're kind of standing there, and I notice, here's Brian, goes out from behind the counter, and he's talking to all these men, uh, most of whom I think were homeless men off the streets. He's out there learning their names. He's telling who he is. He's asking about them, and you can see them smiling and, and happy. And first, I thought, i got to go get him and bring him back in line. And then I kind of watched a little bit, and I'm like, he's making me look bad. i got to get out there too. So, so I went out. So we're breaking the rules, man. We're out, we're out talking to the guests, and, and it was just so cool. But Brian was doing, as about a 17-year-old young man, what Jesus had truly called him to be. And I think that's what it means to not only share our money, but our possessions, to share life with other people in need in a similar way uh, that we get to share here at ZPC in a similar way to what they did in Acts chapter 2. So I was sharing this with Marsha Foxworthy, who's Brian's mother, and she shared with me two pictures. She had actually saved brochures from this place where we went, if we have those now, Lori. Um, so this was on a brochure at the place where we actually served. They gave out about their ministry, and you could see people who were struggling, and there was Jesus in the middle of the line with them, letting us know that Jesus goes wherever there is need and serves in places of need. And when we serve someone in need, we're truly serving Jesus. And here's what they wrote about on the brochure. He who was rich for our sake became poor. Today, the same God is in people who are unwanted, unemployed, uncared for, hungry, naked, and homeless. And so we are called to recognize God there and the people that we can meet and serve. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this about the church. The church is the church only when it exists for others. The church is the church only when it exists for others. And so we need to exist for others as well. Finally, and we're finishing up here in just a minute, we read in verses 46 and 47, they met together in homes and in the temple, and so we too need to meet with each other socially at church, home groups, reunion groups, and another way. And then 47, praising God to, with them. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. When we are also kind and compassionate and others focused, we enjoy favor of the people. We can be people of peace and kindness to be generous, caring, and giving. And when we do that, I believe that God will add to their numbers as he did to the early church. We are meant to be the church, to be doing life together as a church family. We are not meant to be part of that 40 million Americans that over the course of a generation or more have left the church. And so in this podcast, which was kind of a downer, they did leave us with an, an encouraging note at the end of the podcast. They said this, which I thought was very interesting. They said many of those who grew up, many of who have left the church in the last 25 or 30 years from their surveys, their research, still believe. And they said that they have found if you simply go back and invite people who have recently left the church, most of them still believe, they're just not attending church. And for many of them, if you give a personal invitation, many of them will come back. That all it takes oftentimes is a personal invitation. I was thinking about ZPC. Man, we have great opportunities to invite people to church that we can invite neighbors, other people we know, to, to worship. 
We can invite them to VBS. I think that's a great chance. It's a great outreach opportunity. Invite someone who has kids or grandkids to come to VBS. Great Banquet is an easy place to invite people to. And then our next-gen events, our next-gen staff and volunteers put on great events several times during the year, which are great places to invite. Now, the early church wasn't perfect. And it reads really uh, cool, this early church, what they were doing there. But it wasn't perfect. They made mistakes. In Acts 5, you just fast forward a little bit, a husband and wife couple named Ananias and Sapphira were deceptive in how they gave to the church. They were asked if they gave everything they had, and they said yes, but they didn't. They had, they had sold some property, and they held back part of it to maintain for themselves. Many of Paul's letters to churches were instructing churches to kind of get their act together. If you read kind of behind the scenes, why does Paul read this le- wrote, uh, wrote this letter? Why did Paul write this letter? It's because those early churches were struggling with some kind of sin or some kind of Uh, divisiveness that was going on in their church. Charles Spurgeon says this about the church. The day we find the perfect church, it becomes imperfect the moment that we join it. How about that? It's a little shot, right? The day we find the perfect church, it becomes imperfect the moment we join it. ZPC is not perfect, but we are called to be the church. And so here's our mission statement and what it has been for all 40 years. ZPC is called together by God, it's coming together as as worship in other ways, to make disciples, that's what we're about, we want to be disciples and make disciples through all of our different ministries, and then release those disciples, release them for service in our broken world. Jerry often also says to be steady, stable, and plotting, as ZPC has been for the last 40 years and the church has been for 2,000 years. So we want to keep doing those things, to keep being the church, keep inviting, keep praying so that we can be the example for the world, the world that needs us so much. So during Advent, we read about the prophets who pointed to Jesus coming from Bethlehem. And at Christmas, we read in Luke 2 about Jesus' birth. All last year, we read about Jesus' life and teaching so we can be more like him. And in 2024, we're going to read more and we're going to finish Luke's gospel so we can be more like Jesus and be the church that God has called us to be. And with that, let us pray. Most loving God, we do give you thanks that you love us so deeply, that you would be willing millennia ago to send your prophets to tell people about what you wanted and how that Jesus or the Messiah was coming. We've learned even in the last eight days again about Jesus coming at Christmas, and we're so thankful for that. And we've learned from the Gospel of Luke of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Help us again as we get ready for a new year to be your people as the church, imperfect as we are, but to learn again what it means to follow you and then to live for you in Jesus. We do pray in his name. Amen.